0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech, the premier podcast for the medical device and diagnostic industry. My name is Omar Ford, and I'm the host of this episode. I'm also editor-in-chief of MDDI, an online publication owned by Informa for the MedTech engineer. On this episode of Let's Talk MedTech, we're going to be talking with one of the keynote speakers of Biomed Device Boston. Yes, Biomed Device Boston is right around the corner, folks. And we're going to be talking with Nicole Black, Vice President of Biomaterials and Innovation at Desktop Health. Nicole holds a PhD in philosophy with a focus on biomedical engineering. And she will hold the second day keynote and offer a unique perspective on how 3D printing continues to revolutionize the medical device market. And while Nicole will be speaking on Thursday, September 21st, 1 to 2 p.m. at Center Stage at Biomed Device Boston at the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center, we've got her right here and right now on Let's Talk MedTech. So without further ado, let's talk medtech with Nicole Black. Well, good morning, Nicole, and welcome to Let's Talk MedTech. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. It's great to talk to you, Omar. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: No, it's uh, thanks for coming on. I mean, this is an amazing opportunity, and I'm excited to hear what you're going to be talking about today. And I really want to get all into desktop health, 3D printing and what you'll be speaking about during Biomed Device Boston. But first I want to ask you about a quote we ran in an article uh, about this show, and you were discussing this in MDDI. And that was that sometimes Easy problems are no fun. Can you kind of explain this logic? Because I love easy problems. I love fixing things. <laughs>
1: yeah, easy. great question, Omar. So yeah. you know, really, um, where I was coming from with this is that you know, there's a lot of big challenges that we face in the world, from you know, healthcare to climate change, a global economy. And in order to uh, make an impact in these fields, uh, really, it takes a lot of uh, creative minds coming together uh, from different disciplines to solve them. And, you know, if if a challenge is just so easy that, you know, one person on their own with their very limited life experience can, can solve it, then it's probably not, you know, going to be a great solution that's going to impact a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, in particular, I find challenges really fun. I think most people find puzzles fascinating. Uh, you know, one of the reasons i became an engineer is because you know i was always getting frustrated you know even as a kid with how things currently existed how current products worked and thinking about, you know, how could we design something cooler or better um, in, in a new way? And so um, I I really, you know, enjoy uh, taking things that are challenges and, and trying to look through them uh, from multiple lenses. So, you know, for example, the phonographs project, which I'll talk about um, later on, is essentially a culmination of work from both engineers and also uh, medical doctors um, and scientists as well. So, you know, really coming together to bring all of these diverse skill sets to solve you know, what's a very complex problem um, at the end of the day. And um I find it, you know, very rewarding to, you know, have a problem that other people have, you know, tried to tackle in the past and, you know, maybe haven't come up with a great solution. And, you know, kind of flipping it, flipping it around and trying something completely new and different. Um, and often these new approaches, you know, take longer. They're more challenging, require years and years of iteration and also years and years of failure. And um, that's just you know something as an engineer and innovator that you have to get used to is is failure. And one thing I've really had to learn is how to try to find opportunities in the failure when things go wrong. So you know, a lot of people try to say, oh, find the silver lining in bad situations. But, you know, one of my personal mottos, um, and I, I talked to a group of sixth grade students a couple months ago um, about this back in my uh, old school district in Michigan, was that, you know, really, you know, don't look for a silver lining, create the gold lining. And so if things, you know, aren't going well, um, if you're having a lot of failures, uh, maybe there's a reason behind this. And potentially, uh, you're being pushed in a new direction that no one has gone before. And Oftentimes, you know, creating these gold linings can lead to an even better uh, solution than if you had just, you know, taken the simple, uh, easy way to solve the problem. And I think this is really, you know, the biggest way to make an impact is is taking these challenging problems, facing them head on and um, trying your best uh, to learn from your mistakes and um, encouraging uh, support and insight from those around you.
0: Well, it's that engineering mindset, too, right? Uh, yeah. uh, unfortunately, I'm a journalist, so we look, we have a pessimistic view of everything. So this, is, <laughs> this is kind of the opposite of, of how I think sometimes, which really gets me in trouble with my wife a lot. But yeah. Uh, Interesting. Interesting. Well, let's jump into Biomed Device Boston. Now, I understand you'll be keynoting and discussing desktop health phonograph device for eardrum repair and some broader issues of 3D printing. Can you kind of tease that? Keynote a little bit. Don't give too much away, but what can what can people expect or attendees expect from from the keynote?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I you know really encourage anyone that has an interest in in med tech innovation to attend. I you know had sort of a untraditional route into med tech. Uh, I did a PhD and then you know ended up spinning out a company for my PhD work uh, that was acquired by a larger company, Desktop Metal. And uh, you know really in this talk, I you know want to tell the story of of how this came to be, how you know, initially, you know, I wanted to go into the med device industry and then realized, you know, a lot of this innovation um, isn't, you know, even necessarily happening at the at the big companies that you know and you hear and you dream about working at, but um is actually happening at small companies and startups um, and academic environments as well. Um, and a lot of times, you know, that innovation, you know, ends up getting brought into these bigger companies down the road. So I'm going to talk about, you know, my journey in discovering this pathway and, and how to make the biggest impact and, you know, specifically about our team's development of the phonograph device, uh, which is a novel device for chronic eardrum repair. I'm also going to talk about 3D printing at large. And, um, you know, one of my hats in desktop health is to uh, help some of these uh, folks in, in large companies become um, more familiar with. 3D printing and make it more accessible to them. Um, you know, a lot of people think of 3D printing as this, you know, big enigma and you know, think also at the same time that, you know, it's it's a super easy thing. You just press play, print apart, and come back in a few hours and you have something perfect. And that's not usually the case. There's a lot of caveats, but also a lot of benefits to it. And so. Kind of want to talk about you know where are the sweet spots in 3D printing um, to make a big impact um, in the med device field and you know where some of these features uh, that are coming out both from a material and manufacturing technology lens uh, will be best utilized.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about 3D printing because it, it's fascinating to me. Do we see it growing in healthcare? Do we see this space really blowing up? And if so, what are some of the key drivers? And most importantly additive manufacturing or 3D printing what's the correct term
1: yes a great question <laughs> so in the industry um you know additive manufacturing is is more commonly used but i like to use 3D printing because it yeah. relates to more people people can visualize what's actually happening in this in this process and so um you know i think from a uh, customer adoption lens and getting people to, you know, adopt 3D printing. Um, I think, you know, I, I like using that term, but additive manufacturing also um, uh, is a great one um, and, and conveys uh, similar uh, uh, principles. So, you know, really, I, I think 3D printing is going to be growing um, very substantially. And and the reason for this is that, you know, um, your body is not made of one material and it doesn't come in, you know, one geometry. Everyone is is different, and even within a single person, um, there is a very complex arrangement of cells, of extracellular matrix proteins, of you know, just connection points between these tissues as well. And you know, a lot of you know med devices on the market. I think we're going to see you know a pretty significant transformation from you know these very simple you know one material devices that are you know injection molded in sort of one size fits all technique or Oftentimes, even manufactured by very, like you know, labor-intensive processes like you know, sewing and cutting, um, now becoming uh, more automated and becoming. Uh, more complex as well as we start to realize uh, some of these features that could be beneficial uh, for patients. And so, you know, uh, one great example of this is, um, you know, our team in Desktop Health is is working with the 3D bioplotter, which is an extrusion-based printer that can print up to five materials at once. And we have a variety of different printhead uh, configurations, including um, for you know high-temperature materials like thermoplastics, um, uh, low-temperature materials that need to be chilled, um, like different hydrogels. Um, Also different uh, print heads for um, doing core shell geometries as well to mimic vasculature. Um, and you know, I think that what we're going to see in the future is people wanting to impart you know different materials and different um, microstructural properties inside of a device. So rather than just saying, okay, well we're going to you know design one thing and then injection mold it, you know we can potentially incorporate um, much more complex features inside of a single part using 3D printing um, as a technology. So I do think you know this multi-material aspect is going to drive it um, really in addition to a lot of these benefits that you can impart um, with 3D printing to the um, end device itself.
0: Are there any concerns regarding the regulatory pathway for some of these applications that 3D printing will be used for?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Omar. So, you know, a lot of people, when they think of of 3D printing in, in healthcare, they do think of, you know, customization, matching yeah. things for patients. and I think this is going to you know be um, you know more common in the future. And so it is it is a bit of a regulatory hurdle because if you say, well, I'm going to customize this device for every single person, you know, you now have an infinite array of designs that you're going to have to validate and say, yes, Mm. this works well um, for, you know, this patient, um, this device works well for this patient. And it just becomes very uh, complicated from, you know, a perspective of actually validating um, all of these different suites of designs. But 3D printing is not inherently any, you know, riskier than other manufacturing technologies. Um, You know, if you're heating up a material um, to extrude it, you know, you're also heating it up during injection molding. These are very similar (laughs) things happening, Um, you know, technologies like electro spinning where you put, you know, your polymer into a solution um, or cast uh, materials, you know, that is the same exact technique that's used in 3D printing. Um, but really, you know, the benefit of 3D printing is that you have such fine control over, you know, where these materials are deposited. And um, one of the great things about where the field is heading is we're seeing um, the the manufacturing technology improve just so much in terms of reproducibility. So, you know, um, printing parts, you know, on the micron scale um, and being able to replicate this hundreds of batches over um, is becoming, uh you know, possible now. Um So, you know, with the three bioplatter, one of the things we really pride ourselves on is this machine is a very robust machine. It's it's a manufacturing grade tool uh, manufactured uh, in Switzerland. And when we uh, print parts out of it, there's also a built-in camera to record every single layer. So you have great traceability, um, both of images and then the files as well, which in, honestly, a lot of manufacturing methods um, you don't have in such an automated fashion. So, you know, there's even some med devices that are still, you know, as I mentioned, being cut and sewn together. So... You know, I would say from a regulatory perspective, I would really like to see regulatory bodies understanding 3D printing as, you know, just another manufacturing mechanism. And, not, you know, it's not specifically limited to patient matching, though it does have values there, but there are just so many other values that it can have uh, for these devices where, you know, it really, as long as, you know, your parts are reproducible and you can validate that they work for their function and verify that their dimensions are the same batch to batch, you know, it's really the same as any other manufacturing method
0: interesting 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 uh what I want to talk about now is you know with the price of everything increasing with with the inflation that we're seeing and and with materials being so high high how has this impacted 3d printing um are we seeing 3d printing cost uh, going up or is it just the opposite is is this kind of a, a counterpoint to those increasing assesses
1: yeah that's a the great question Omar so I think we're going to see a lot of technologies coming out soon that you know a allow for greater scale up in 3D printing, you know, a big reason why it's not used for, you know, a lot of plastic parts versus something like injection molding is just your ability to scale um, the process. But, you know, new 3D printing technologies that have multiple print heads next to each other is going to um, speed up this process and make it more practical to, you know, have a print farm of, you know, 100 printers in the future, um, all working side by side on parts. One of the cost effective features of 3D printing as well is, is the materials that that you use in the process are really can, you know, limited to what you're actually putting into the device. You don't have a lot of material waste that you have with other manufacturing processes. So when you're working with, you know, very expensive materials, um, especially in the biologic space, thinking about things like collagen, growth factors um, that you want to incorporate into your inks, um, you know, much more cost effective to, you know, deposit exactly the amount that you want where you want it, uh, rather than, you know, filling your entire device with a very expensive material or, you you know, having a uh, waste that's cut off uh, from the product at the end of the day. So, you know, I think one of the challenges is is still scale up, and I think that we're yeah. getting there. But you know, for even a lot of these biologic applications, it's often more cost effective, um, just from a materials perspective. Now,
0: I, I I can only imagine that desktop health is kind of is is helping out with this, and and is really at the forefront of 3D printing now. And, and one of the things that I've noticed is that the the phone graph device. It's amazing. You know, we had one of our freelancers uh, write about it last month in the Q&A with you. And I was reading about it and it just, you know, it just took my breath away. Could you, could you yeah. talk a little bit about this technology?
1: Yeah, thanks, Omar. It's, uh, it's very kind. Um, so yeah, this is a project that, you know, spun out of our work at, uh, between Harvard and the VEAS Institute there, um, and also Mass Ioneer, and the phonograph project was, uh, really motivated by the Boston Marathon bombing, uh, which, oh, you know, wow. we just passed the 10-year anniversary, and, what a lot of people don't realize is that one of the most common injuries as a result of this event was chronically perforated eardrums. And so, you know, in my first year of grad school, I met uh, two surgeons at Mass Eye and um, Drs. Aaron Riemenschneider and Elliot Kozin, uh, while I was working in uh, Jennifer Lewis's lab at Harvard. And in particular, Dr. Riemenschneider treated a lot of patients as a result of this event and noticed that a lot of their outcomes are not ideal. Um, they would have poor hearing after the fact, a lot of their graphs would, you know, re- tract and need a revision surgery, and so we started actually looking at, you know, what is the eardrum made of? What does it look like? And how does it function? Um, And can we create something better than what's currently used? You know, right now, if you perforate your eardrum, the most common solution is, you know, a tympanoplasty under general anesthesia using autologous tissue that is tissue from your own body. This tissue from your own body doesn't look or behave anything like your eardrum. And you sort of have this, you know, superficial bandage of tissue on your eardrum from another part of your body for the rest of your life. And so... You know, one of the things we realized pretty early on is that a circular and radial structure that's present in the middle layer of your eardrum, it's known as the lamina propria, is actually very important for sound conduction. It gives it these isotropic mechanical properties, which anisotropic, just a very fancy word that means different properties in different directions, um, but allows it to effectively uh, behave like a soft material at low frequencies and a stiff material at high frequencies. And so what this means is that it can effectively conduct sound over a wide range of, of hearing and We talked to a lot of patients during this process, you know, who had undergone, you know, typical tympanoplasty, and a lot of them reported not being able to hear low or high frequencies well after this procedure with conventional grafts. Um, You know, a lot of this can be attributed to the fact that their eardrum just can't vibrate as well anymore. So we started thinking about, you know, how we can... Uh, yeah, replicate the structure in the eardrum and use 3D printing to do so. But not only, you know, make it nice at the beginning and something that looks like the eardrum, but actually make something that could remodel into uh, the eardrum structure. And so we spent a lot of time uh, developing materials that you know, could encourage the growth of of native cells um, onto the graft as it degrades and start to regenerate that graft into tissue that looks and behaves more like the normal eardrum. And so, uh, you know, a lot of our work is designing this set of materials that we're calling the aligning system. And I'm going to be talking about this in in the keynote as well. You know, it's a very unique process because we're using 3D printing, you know, not you know, for patient matching or really even, you know, for the multi-material aspect at this point, but for microstructural benefits, essentially programming anisotropy into these graphs so that, you know, they can not only vibrate well initially, but start to be remodeled into anisotropic tissue um, in the body. And we really hope to, you know, use this technology in other areas of the body as well. So seeing a lot of interest in particular in vascular graphs and nerve conduits Mm -hmm. um, that also have, you know, an alignment of cells within them that could benefit from this.
0: What's the regulatory pathway like for this um, 510k or PMA? And and I'll I'll tell you a quick joke uh, before you answer that question. When I first started out in the industry, I didn't know a 510k from a PMA, and I remember putting um, something was approved in a headline when it was really cleared. It was it went through the 510k pathway, and FDA jumped all over my behind. Uh, really quickly they were demanding a retraction so you know it's it's always <laughs> hey <laughs> it, no it, worries
1: it, at all i think until i yeah. got in the med device space i you know thought like a 401k and a 510k was <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah, feel yeah, yeah. A, a lot of nomenclature especially uh with with the federal government um, to, to yeah. navigate um but yeah so uh the we've had two uh meetings with the fda already regarding mm-hmm. the phonograph device um these are called pre sub meetings so essentially before you submit your package, you can ask them questions and um, confirm your pathway. And so they did confirm this this 510K um, pathway for us, which is just basically showing um, substantial equivalence to a device that's already on the market. So it's Mm -hmm. just as safe and effective as something already out there. So, you know, for these final studies, we're going to have to do, you know, a suite of biocompatibility tests, um, extractables and leachables, um, animal study. And, you know, for most 510Ks, you don't uh, require any clinical studies, but um, because we have this new design in phone to enable placement, um, the FDA did note that they wanted to see a small human confirmatory study to, you know, just successfully show that um, it can be placed in clinic and operating room settings. So, you know, one of our goals with phonograph that I haven't mentioned yet is not only improving patient outcomes, but improving the patient experience. We saw, uh, you know, early on um, when I was observing tympanoplasty procedures, just how lengthy and invasive these are. Um, you know, a lot of these patients go into the operating room, spend, you know, eight days uh, or eight, eight hours in the hospital. They it usually takes months to to book uh, a procedure, and especially during COVID, we saw that um, a mm-hmm. lot of patients had to spend, uh, you know, multiple months and sometimes even years, of being able to book a procedure because it was considered elective. and once they're, you know, in the operating room, they have to be under general anesthesia in order to place these graphs. and so it's just not an entirely accessible procedure, especially when you think about patients in rural settings, you know, war fighters abroad, and so being able to uh, make tympanoplasty more accessible and uh, to improve placement of these graphs uh, has been uh, a major goal of ours as well. So you know in our new designs uh, we have some macro structural features that we've imparted um, with the help of um, 3D printing of, of support materials as well within these um, that can allow these to be placed through the ear canal in a wake patient. so you know rather than having the patient go to the hospital, you know spend eight hours there, um, go under general anesthesia, bring someone with them. Instead, they could just go into, you know, a clinic-based setting, 20 minutes in and out, have it inserted um, and, you know, go home shortly thereafter um, without any incisions. And so this is another aspect we're really trying to innovate in and, um, you know, seeing it is, it is challenging to try to innovate procedures. A lot of surgeons have been trained, you know, oh, the same way yes. for hundreds of years. Yes, yes. <laughs> And they all know, you know, yes. how to do things. And so it's, um, I would say that's, you 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 know, one of the biggest challenges is, you know, uh, understanding uh, what it will take to um, for surgeons to adopt um, new technologies, especially when it takes, you know, new training um, as well.
0: So there'll there'll be no doubt a, a huge education piece attached to this.
1: Yes. Um, yeah. So no, I wouldn't say necessarily huge. It's okay. um it's a pretty it's like implanting an ear tube. So any surgeon sure, sure. that has put in an ear tube can put in the phonograph device. Um, but you know, it is just, you know, slightly different than than what they're used to. Um gotcha. and um just preparing the patient slightly differently um for the procedure. Um, you know, if it's if they're not under general anesthesia, if they're awake, you know, they just have to be aware of of what's happening. Um, and, you know, use some local anesthetic, things like that. Um, But, you know, the procedure itself is very straightforward. And and we're really hoping that, you know, this even, you know, improves uh, the ease of use and Um, even just ENT surgeons um, that aren't trained otolaryngologists. Um, You know, oftentimes you'll have to go somewhere like Mass Eye and Ear to get a procedure. Um, It's not super easy to get to if someone lives in like Western Massachusetts. So uh, being able to go to your local ENT clinic instead and get this inserted um, um, could be a a huge option in the future uh, for people.
0: Exactly, exactly. I want to talk a little bit now. I want to go back to the broader topic of 3D printing. And just um, wanna ask you to get behind the crystal ball here for a second. And where do you see this space? Where do you see 3D printing going in maybe the next five to 10 years?
1: Yeah, great question. So I think you know a lot of the new innovations in 3D printing are going to come down to materials. Materials are functionally what the part is made of at the end of the day, and what imparts the benefits into it. So I'm going to you know guess that there's going to be a lot of very exciting new biomaterials coming out, um, especially at this interface of of natural and synthetic uh, materials that can uh, allow graphs to you know have sort of the best of both worlds. You know all the benefits of of incorporation. and um, biocompatibility uh, that natural materials do, but the mechanical properties and robustness of a lot of these synthetic materials like PCL and PLA. I think that's going to be a huge growing market is just developing new materials um, for these spaces. Um, I think also um, enabling new geometries with 3D printing, we're going to see a lot of um, as support materials in different, um, also you know, add-ons for 3D printers um, become available. So um, in Desktop Health, we recently released a system called the print roll build platform, which is essentially a rotating mandrel that um, you can print on as it rotates. So um, you can create cylindrical devices for, you know, vascular grafts, um, respiratory grafts, nerve conduits, uh, much easier than it it would be if you were trying to, you know, layer by layer build these up, um, you know, from a circle all the way up to a cylinder. Um, And so I think, you know, really combination of materials, technologies, and, you know, manufacturing capabilities of these printers that can do things that, you know, no one's ever thought of with traditional manufacturing techniques is going to be um, growing and um, really uh, make this space uh, more accessible so that, um, you know, folks uh, that want to innovate can, you know, do this uh, just, you know, from an academic lab setting up to a big device company.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, Nicole, if anyone wants to know more about desktop health or any of the great things you all are doing, how can they get in contact with you? Where can they go?
1: Yeah, great question. So um, the uh, the link I will send you, Omar, and uh, I don't know if you can incorporate that into the podcast, but if you Google Desktop Health 3D Bioplotter, that'll take you to our landing page. Um, our team specifically is um, the Desktop Health Biofabrication Innovation Office. So we're located in the Schraffs Building in Charlestown, which is a neighborhood of Boston. Um, and we have an R&D team here and capabilities to um, help people launch 3D printing projects and really bring their ideas ideas to life. Um, you know, as we talked about, there's there's a lot of materials development that goes into 3D printing and um, also a lot of tuning. It's it's not really pressing a button, hit go and, and coming back. And so, you know, helping companies um, ac- access this better and lowering that barrier of entry is, is really one of our goals of ours. And we encourage anyone that's interested in, in learning more to, to reach out um, either, you know, about the 3D bio plot or about um, 3D printing for med devices in general. Love to talk.
0: Well, thank you for coming on to Let's Talk MedTech, and we will see you next month at Biomed Device Boston.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much for having me on, Omar. It was great talking to you and looking forward to seeing everyone at Biomed Device.
0: That's it for this episode of Let's Talk MedTech. Thanks once again to our guest, Nicole Black. Again, you can catch Nicole at biomed device boston on september 21st 1 to 2 p.m on center stage discussing moving the nozzle 3d printing for medical device manufacturing and you can find out more information about all the great speakers all the great exhibits just everything about the show at biomedboston.com that's biomedboston.com and for more great content surrounding the med tech community and the medical device and diagnostic industry, you can get all of that, including the Let's Talk Medtech podcast at mddionline.com. That's mddionline.com. And please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.